Welcome to this week's episode of Church Unscripted. Please subscribe or like our YouTube channel. Then you can get these episodes every week when we put them up on Wednesdays. Um, We're really excited this week because, one, Easter's coming up. We have services at Brookside at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're excited about that. And also on Good Friday, we have an experience. I think I'll just let David explain Good Friday. (laughs) I mean, it's going to be an experience. It's not a service, Mm -hmm. and it'll look a little different than normal. Yeah, so we're going to to be transforming the worship center into a uh, journey to the cross, uh, oftentimes called Stations of the Cross. It's nine stations um, all the way from Jesus's betrayal um, to his burial. And it's just an awesome opportunity for the family, for individuals to come out and uh, just really take the time to be reflective about the sacrifice that Jesus made. And we're pretty excited about it. Four to seven. Four to seven Friday, on good Friday. Child care. 530 to 7. Yeah, 530 to 7. So we're pretty excited for that. We're excited about that, yeah. And so if you weren't with us this last Sunday, um, one of the things that happened on Sunday was uh, Pastor Eric just got back from Israel. And so he was talking about his trip a little bit, and you kind of unpacked a few things for us, showed us some pictures. Maybe you can give us a little bit more about your trip and maybe a couple tidbits. Give us a, I know, it's a pastor. Give me three things that you learned on your trip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little sermonette here, but I'd love to hear about what happened in Israel and things that you saw or the the group was able to see. Yeah, well, thanks for that. Well, that, that question really uh, merits a far longer discussion because to ask me to summarize the Israel trip in a short period of time is really a hard thing to do. Um, and so I would love to- um, Okay, we'll take go more elevator pitch. Elevator Ele- pitch? Elevator oh, that's pitch. even harder. So <laughs> let me see if I can do this. So, so most people uh, would love to go to Israel. Um, and yeah. those who are able to do it have high expectations. What I would like to think though, and what I've experienced is that their expectations uh, fall short of what they actually experience. And so their excitement uh, they discover is lower than the excitement that they had when they were there. And so when people say, you know, I was, I'm looking forward to being baptized in the Jordan River where Jesus himself was baptized, there's an excitement level there. But once you actually are baptized where Jesus was baptized, uh, there's a depth of meaning there that goes beyond the simple excitement. When you walk where Jesus walked, carrying his cross through this path called the, the Via Della Rosa, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a meaning to that that's more than just historical. When you stand in the place where Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, when he says, um, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And you're standing in the very place that he said this, the context of the place adds so much value and meaning to it. You're like, whoa, it's, it's a very surreal experience that you cannot predict and you cannot prepare for. And I would say that wasn't just in a couple of places, that was every single day, every place we went. And the result of it is that people, um, I believe not only began to read their Bible in color for the first time, that's the way I like to analogize it, um, but I, I think that there was some real depth to faith that happened. Um, if nothing more than just a deeper appreciation of Jesus. And you know, one of the things that, that I came home with that, that, that I love so much, is we went to several places, uh, sites, historical sites, and the information, the teaching, the Bible studies that happened there was all extremely valuable, but every site we went to is, is what the Bible calls dead stones. I mean, there, there's no life in these stones. They're just historical places. But then First Peter chapter one talks about these things called living stones. And this is the church. This is you and me, not just here at Brookside, but all over the world. And when you see what it looks like to be a living stone in that kind of environment that is hostile to your faith all over, you begin to see the value. And I mean, if you, if you wanna, what is that nursery rhyme we used to sing, you know, a, don't let your light hide under a bowl. What, oh, what is that? This little light of mine. This, this little, little light, light of mine, mine, right? I mean, it's don't this. Sing. Yeah, no, yeah, don't kidding. sing. <laughs> well, wait, let you, you talked about before we started, you were in a boy band. I mean, uh, well, we don't bit, tell people that. Yeah, okay? I know, I know. <laughs> that's right. But but that means you could sing this little light of mine, right? I'll, uh, Come on. I'll, it'll all suffice to just explain it. Okay, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> but we, we sing the, that, that song, yeah. This Little Light of Mine, and we get the image of just a little flicker of light in a dark room lighting it all up. Uh, in our context, we have no idea what that looks like. But when you go over to Israel and you see that 1% of the population are believers surrounded by... Um, faith groups that honestly are very hostile to them. Mm. 
you get an understanding, a far deeper understanding of what it means to be a light on the hill. Um, and, and the darkness is very prevalent. Uh, the hostility is very prevalent. But when you see people put their faith in Jesus in a place like that, I mean, that faith is genuine. It is real. Um, in fact, I love to tell the story and I'm not going to say his name uh, because it might actually put him in danger. But we met somebody in in a location within Palestinian Authority territory, um, where to be a Christian or even a Jew in that area uh, is dangerous. Um, and as we talked to this young man, we discovered that he was a believer. And so he said, "Hey, are, are you a believer?" And when he we asked that question, he kind of pulled back a little bit and looked around him to see if anyone could hear him. And he said, "Yeah, I'm a believer." And that was so significant because what we learned is that not even his wife or his parents or his kids know that he's a believer. Mm. Because if they knew, one, he could lose his home, lose his family. And given that he is from a Muslim home, uh, very much they could put out what's called an honor killing on him. And so simply because he's a believer puts his life in danger. And what I loved about it is that as a group, we surrounded him and heard his story and we prayed with him. And that wasn't just significance to us. That was one of the most valuable things for him because he knew that there were other believers that supported him. Wow. And so when you go to Israel, you experience not just great historical sites, you begin to see what it really means to be a living stone uh, for the kingdom of God. So that was my biggest takeaway. I, that was a little bit more than an elevator speech, but... Uh, that was way that was shorter good. than yeah. I thought it was. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah. Well, listen, I, what else do you want me to no, say? No, I got no, more to see, talk. Yeah. Well, no, but I think I think you gave it some context. I, yeah. I think of it like this. People that I know have gone to Israel, they look at the Bible and they say, okay, there's text on a page. Mm. I hear a description and it's in my imagination almost. Mm, like yeah. what was Jesus like? How were his manner, mannerisms and stuff mm -hmm. like that? And then you go to Israel and you're like, he stood right here. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that puts color to your almost like mm. black and white of what mm -hmm. you actually see. Mm -hmm. So it creates a three-dimensional oh, yeah. perspective on that. So that's what, I, that's what I, I mean, and that's what I heard from what you just said. I, I think it's so amazing. I'm sure we'll talk about Israel more um, in the coming weeks on Church Unscripted. And so, yeah. but I really, I want to talk a lot about Sunday because Sunday mm -hmm. you presented something that I think is uh, very revealing. It's something that like, I think a lot of us, need to understand about our savior, about Jesus Christ. And so um, I was I was looking at Sunday and you had, you had three kind of main ideas. And that first idea that you had was, it is only because Jesus is willing to be crushed that you can be made whole. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like that's a really emotional thing for me. Like Jesus was yeah. crushed so I could be made whole. Yeah. So what does it mean to be made whole though? Like for someone that maybe like doesn't understand that term or maybe you need to unpack more from Sunday. I mean, you've used the term before, um, I believe on Church Unscripted a couple times, but what does it mean to be made whole when you use it there? That's a great question. And, and if you wanted to talk about going deep theologically, that just, that, that's a deep Maybe, maybe it's question. for a later church but, on scripture. No, I think this is a perfect setting for it because I think people um, are, are wondering, you know, what does it actually mean? Because scripturally speaking, that kind of concept, that theme is all over the place. And so when we see what Jesus did for us on the cross, he didn't just save our soul so we can go to heaven when we die. He died on the cross. He was crushed. He was pressed. Um, he was pierced so that we could be made whole. And, and a very short version of that, I believe, is that we are made like Jesus. Uh, everything about us is increasingly transformed to be like him. The way we think, the way we relate, the way we understand reality, um, which, is, which is really, really powerful. The reason that we need that is because sin uh, broke us apart and we became disintegrated. Um, and what sin did is it, it created chaos within our souls, within our minds, so that we feel like we are two different kinds of people. We recognize that inside there is a pull that God divinely placed inside of us that he only fits in. But yet there's this sin in our life that tries to redefine our character, redefine our nature, our identity, our value, and our worth. And so we feel like that we're stuck between two, two uh um, authorities trying to pull us in their own direction and we feel stuck and we feel broken. But I think when Jesus makes us whole, he eliminates the power and the authority of sin in our life in, in terms of eternity speaking. 
and we become uh, an integrated, complete person. This is why when the Bible says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, what, what the Bible's not telling us is to be sinless, to never make a mistake. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that- I was hoping the, you were gonna say that because yeah, I was yeah. like, where's he going with this? Okay, okay. I don't know. Yeah, so yeah. everything about our life, everything about our humanity is integrated into our spirituality with him so that we're not two different people. We're one person in Jesus. And so that defines then our humanity. Mm. It defines our relationships. And I think that's a basic, I think, way to describe what it means that Jesus be made, made whole. whole. Yeah. And so, David, do you have anything to add to that that you were thinking about? No, I had a follow-up question. Okay. Though. So you, talk, you talked about the crushing. And um, I couldn't help but think about the, the humanity of Jesus. Like he was man. Why is it so important that he was man? Because I know you talk about the crushing. Um, I guess, what does that do for us knowing that he was man and God at the same time? Like, why is that so important? Man, you guys are really getting into like well, deep theological well, concepts So before, here. before, oh my goodness. yeah, no, before he answers though, I think yeah. our people watching, like the first heresy was that he wasn't man. So why was it so important? Yeah. I mean, the yeah. first historical heresy in yeah. the church was yeah. he's just divine. He was a spirit being. He's not man. Right. He's not like us. Yeah. And that that changes things because it eliminates mm -hmm. the the connection that you just described by being made whole. Yeah. Right. He had to be like us. Yeah. To be made whole. So I don't. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, you really just said it right there. Um, the difference between our understanding of salvation, mm -hmm. our understanding of deity and every other religion is that our God became human. Mm -hmm. Every other religion, there's a deity that they might still think is worthy of worship, but that deity is so far removed from the human experience that mm -hmm. there's so much unrelatability to them. Mm -hmm. um, but when Jesus stepped into humanity, he also stepped into the curse of sin. Yes. And when Jesus became human, he also experienced the full, mm -hmm. uh, the full, um, brunt of what sin did to humanity. Yeah. And so while he experienced everything that humanity experienced, and Hebrews talks so much about this and the fact that Jesus is our great high priest, right? Yeah. Um, because he experienced everything humanity experienced and yet was sinless, mm -hmm. that means that he could legitimately be the pure spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. And so people say, you know, theologically, he could just stay up in heaven and just you know, click yeah. his fingers right like that and, and say, sin is done, death is done, and everyone has life. And if, if that were the case, then there would also be no relationship. But I think Jesus, yeah. in part, loved to become human, not just so that he could be the perfect atonement for our sins, but because he wanted to have a relationship with us. Yeah, and I love that too, because like he could have just said, sin be gone. Yeah. But because he became man, like he relates to me, like yeah. in the pain that I feel, in the in the sin that I may fall uh, in temptation to, like he gets that. He was tempted. He lived like all those things. So that that deepens the relationship Absolutely. with God because you yeah. know he's been there. He's been further than you've been, honestly. Right, right. Well, and I, th I think the struggle, like I, I think of my own life when I was younger, there were times where I struggled with something and I thought, well, Jesus never sinned. So he didn't really yeah. struggle with this. And I think that's eliminating his humanity. Like it's a, it's a false understanding of God because the reality is he was tempted by those things, but yeah. he stood up to that temptation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it, like, like the, the moment of sin is that action on the thought. Mm -hmm. and, and so like he, he looked at the temptation, he struggled with it, he wrestled with it, but then he said what was true and what was mm -hmm. right and what was sinless. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I think we miss that sometimes mm -hmm. when we take away his humanity completely. Yeah. yeah. Um, another, another part of what you said Sunday that was on that first part right there about the crushing is like the idea that he would suffer for me. Mm. I don't know about you, but when you feel that, like mm. you shouldn't feel, I, I don't feel a weight from it, but I almost feel this emotion of like, he did that for me. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, Eric, can you like, maybe both of you guys, can you unpack what that might be for someone that's new to their faith? I have, sense, uh, like, yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I have, uh, I've heard a story and I'm, I'm confident that's a, it's a story based in reality, but I, I don't know. So uh, here, the story as it goes is there is a train conductor 
Um, and his part of his responsibility was to make sure that he pulled the lever that would change the tracks so that two oncoming trains would not run into each other. They would, yeah. you know, drive by each mm -hmm. other. And so he had to make sure that that lever was pulled at the right time so that there wasn't a collision and hundreds of people would die if he didn't do this, right? When he pulled that lever underneath the platform was all of the gears and so forth that would actually make the track move. He brought his son to work one day um, and he kind of lost track of where his son was. He heard the train coming. So he thought, okay, I've got I've to pull the lever. As he's looked around, he couldn't find his son. And then he looked underneath the platform and his son was playing in the gearbox. Um, and he screamed for his son, get out of there, get out of there. The train's coming and there's precious moments left for his son to walk away. If his son didn't walk away, he had a choice to make. He could either pull the lever, save hundreds of people's lives, but kill his son in the process. Or he could hold the lever, save his son and kill hundreds of people. Mm. And I can't imagine the pressure that that father experienced, but at the very last second, because his son could not hear him, he pulled the lever, closed his eyes, and the trains passed each other, saving countless human lives. And they had no idea what he did for them, but he knew that his son passed away. And as the trains passed, um, this, as the story goes, the father just screamed at the trains, you have no idea what I just did for you. Mm. And I think that's the nature of the heart of our father and uh, that he, he was willing he was willing to sacrifice his only son. That's John three sixteen, right? Yeah. So that countless numbers of people would be saved who would have no idea what he did for them. So um, he died, not just for those who believe in him. He died just not just for those who understood what he did. He died for the people uh, who would never know what Jesus did for him, mm -hmm. them. And he died for the people who would reject him ultimately, mm -hmm. but he did it because he loved them so much anyway. Wow. Yeah. It's a tough story to, to hear. Yeah. It'll uh, cause you to tear up if you think about it too much. Yeah. But I think that's probably, in terms of a, of a, of a story, hmm. really the best way to describe the heart of, of God hmm. um, and yeah, why Jesus us. had to suffer for us. Wow. And, and I know it's hard because I think of it like this. Like, there's some people out there that think, well, why did he have to do that? I didn't ask him to. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe they have this sense of guilt or indebtedness mm -hmm. to Jesus. And I think that's the opposite of the free gift. And that's part of the, mm -hmm. part of the problem. So when... When Jesus, on Sunday, you talk about Jesus walked into the olive press, being yeah. pressed in the garden, and walked out um, tenaciously. Um, there was a phrase you used after you said that, and I thought it was so interesting. If Jesus decides the pressure is too much and bails, our salvation is lost. Mm. Um, the pressure that he felt, the physical description in the garden that you, that you shared on Sunday, why do you think it had to be physical, but it also was spiritual? Do you know what I'm saying? Like our whole body, holistically, mm -hmm. like when our spiritual selves are affected, yeah. our physical selves are affected. Yeah. And how does that like intermingle? You know, he's bleeding yeah. from his, like sweating blood. sweating blood. And there is a process that that happens. Mm -hmm. I've never witnessed it myself, but I am sure that he was sweating blood because mm -hmm. of the, the spiritual and physical pressure he felt in that moment to go to the cross. Mm. I have some thoughts. You want to take a stab at this? Oh, go ahead. Okay, so <clears throat> one of the greatest spiritual questions that humanity has asked throughout the generations is, is what's called the problem of pain. Um, C.S. Lewis has written about it, various philosophers throughout the ages, Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, all kinds of philosophers have tried their best to answer mm -hmm. the problem of pain. The problem of pain simply states, um, how could a God, whether that's the God we believe in or any other God, if there's goodness in that God, how could they, if they have power and authority and ability, allow us as their people to experience the levels of pain that some of us experience? When you, when you tragically lose uh, a baby, uh, a stillborn or prematurely, mm -hmm. or you get in a car accident, and, um, and we all know a close friend of ours right now whose in-laws were tragically killed in the car accident. Can't mm -hmm. imagine that kind of pain. And so it's a conundrum. How can a good God that is powerful and able allow us to experience that kind of pain? And, and I don't have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not gonna pretend that I do, but I do think Jesus provides a solution for it mm -hmm. in the garden of Gethsemane. 
Because what we just said is what sin did is tried to disintegrate our lives mm. by separating the spiritual from the human. Mm. But Jesus is bringing it all integrated under his authority and his banner. Mm. So when he suffers physically in the garden of Gethsemane, yeah, it's a spiritual suffering because he is about to bear the full brunt and the weight of sin of the world. But at the same time, it's an extremely physical and emotional and mental experience, which I appreciate because when I experience sin in my life, it's not just the spiritual conundrum. Mm. Um, it, it, it does things physically to you. It does things mentally and emotionally. And Sin is the reason why the world experiences so much pain anyway. Mm. So when Jesus experiences physical pain, he is bringing the physical effects of sin onto his life. And he is making the perfect atonement for everything that sin does to us. Whether it's a physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual, a holistic kind of atonement. Um, which is, what, I think, what, why he what's had atonement, to. Just for a second. So uh, atonement is resolution to a problem that you can't take care of yourself. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, I'm just. I'm yeah, just saying, if someone's watching and they're yeah. like thinking atonement, I mean, yeah. yeah. One, one of the things that you just said, which I I've read C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain. I love that book. Mm-hmm. It helped me through a lot of things that I was going through at that time period in my life. One one of the things that I think is interesting about his perspective philosophically is that the reason the reason pain is there and the reason we know pain is so um, drastic at times is that's the absence of what's right, good, and true. And so sometimes we equate pain with like um, us doing something sinful. You know, people used to mm-hmm. think you only got sick if you had a sin in your life yeah. and this and that. But the reality of it is sin's death and destruction just affects us all, mm-hmm. no matter what happens. So yeah. the the absence of, of the presence of God, mm-hmm. the righteousness, the goodness, mm-hmm. causes some of that pain, which is what you were saying. Yeah. But I think... For someone that's a, say, a new believer, and they're looking at like these passages, and they look like Jesus was pressed for me. He felt that pain. Mm. You know how how could we, in a uh, a way, sh- explain maybe how Jesus fills our pain? And when we're in a painful experience, maybe we could share some painful experiences where mm. Jesus met us in that painful experience. I've got a few of my own, so that's the only reason I'm thinking this. But like, mm. how does how does God meet us in our pain? Because you answered the pain question. Mm. I mean, that's sin causes, I mean, sin is destructive, right? Pain, sin, death, it causes death and destruction. So, yeah. so is there something, David, I'm, I'm looking at you. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it sounds really cliche, but to know that he understood pain that I will never understand. Like Jesus took all of the sin, all of the pain that we experience, and he bore that on the cross. And so it's comforting to me knowing that I may feel pain, I may feel hurt, um, but I, I have a friend who knows it deeper and I can relate to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's... It doesn't take the pain away. I think that's the hardest part is is it doesn't take the pain away, but it it allows perspective. Like on Sunday, you mentioned um, binding things that Satan tries to use to pull us away from from kingdom values and from from the kingdom being on earth. And I think a lot of times we can use that pain or that pain can be used against us to draw us away from the kingdom of heaven. And... Um, yeah, just to be encouraged that Jesus bore that pain and we can, we can, uh, um, we can rest knowing that we have his power in us. We just came through the Holy Spirit series. Like we can say, yes, I feel pain, but I'm not going to allow that to dictate my view of Jesus. I'm not going to allow that to sidetrack me, to take me off the field, out of the game. Like, um, it, it, I know in my life, like I've, I've recently experienced, um, the loss of, um, a family member tragically instantly. Um, and there is so much pain that is associated with that for me. 
in a lot of different areas. Um, some of it's family that don't know Jesus. Some of it's like she, I will never see her again here on this earth. Um, there's pain that you can't describe. And it's comforting to me knowing that um, I have hope in Jesus. That Because of the cross, because of that pain, we have hope. And I think that's the biggest thing to to kind of take in is that we have hope. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think one of the, the best, best encouragements we can give people who are, are asking that question is to read the book of Hebrews, because this is mm-hmm. where Jesus is described, not just as our high priest, but as a great high priest. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the word great is referring to his status symbol. Like he's on top of all the <laughs> other high priests, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's talking about his goodness as a high priest, mm-hmm. which, which a high priest's role was meant to create relational connection between the people and their God, mm. which, which means that they are the catalyst to build that relationship where both the people and God are known by each other and know each other. Mm. And I think that's really powerful. But what makes him a great high priest mm. is his goodness in that he knows how to represent us to the father. Yeah. And so in, when, you, when you read the gospels, you see him demonstrating a familiarity with the kind of pain a lot of us go through. I mean, for example, if you have, are you experiencing the pain of a divorce? Mm. Um, read the Old Testament. Look at how the people of God divorced God. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the reason intense. that the Bible says that God hates divorce is not because he hates mm. people who are divorced. It's because he's been through a divorce mm. and he hates what that does to relationships. If you have the pain of, of a family member, dying or growing up without a parent. That's Jesus. I mean, we believe that his father died not too long after Jesus was born. And if, and what does that look like for somebody? What kind of pain is that? If, if you have the pain of somebody insulting you, Jesus was insulted. He was called illegitimate. I mean, we're going to do a series coming up about all the accusations that were mm. leveled against Jesus. If mm. you have a pain of a brother or a sister abandoning you, I mean, oh my goodness, he had his brothers was, was actively working against who he was as the Messiah. So, um, and then talk about the cross. I mean, talk about being betrayed by his own people. If, if whatever pain you have, you can find a way that Jesus can relate in the gospels to that pain. And so as a great high priest, he knows how to bring your pain Mm -hmm. and present it well before a God who Mm -hmm. does have the power to bring hope and despair, to bring healing and brokenness. Yeah, and and so there's something I'm just thinking about as as we talk about this. And that is what, what about the people that have been told maybe their whole lives in some way or perceive the gospel being, I'm gonna become a believer and guess what? I'm going to have no more pain because mm. Jesus is going to stop me from having painful experiences. I mean, that's what I, when I heard mm. you preaching Sunday, I, again, I always think of these yeah. odd questions off to the side here. Okay. But yeah. I just like, like, what could we say to someone that maybe is like, oh, I'm not going to experience any more painful things because well, guess what? Jesus is going to cover it all. And honestly, okay, Eric, now I'm going to, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I had, I had one thing I was going to ask you. So your, your ending take home let Jesus fill up what you lack. Sounds a little bit like a Sunday school answer. I'm just going to call you out about it. But when you unpacked it, I was like, I get what he's saying. Okay, good. But if you just say, if you take that out of context from your sermon and you think, I'm never going to have a painful experience again, what, what would you tell someone or share someone in the gospel, like to be honest with them? Well, well, just, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. So no, so that, there's going to be trouble no, that there will be trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And I think that's where the hope comes in is that's, well, that's David, you Jesus, just answered it simply. That's, yeah. That's, that's Jesus's response to trouble is saying you will have trouble just like I've had trouble, but take heart. Cause I'm going to overcome the world. That's, yeah. you, uh, you do not want to serve a God that, that keeps you away from pain. And if your theology says, I want my God to keep all pain away from me, that's not a God that's worth following because the goal of your God should be to make you like him. 
Mm. Right? And so if the way... Wait, 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 wait. I don't want to be in the Garden of Gethsemane <laughs> sweating, uh, no, no. sweating blood. No, no I'm just no, saying. Well, okay. I, know, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But you want a God who is... I mean, just like parents. I mean, as a parent, you don't want to keep your kids safe from every kind of boo-boo. You know, yeah, yeah, because going through difficulty, handling it the right way, yeah. actually gives them the right kind of character. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's almost like surgery. It's I know it's hard, I know it's painful, but on the other side, you're far more healthy. Right. We all know people who spoil their kids way too much, and what do those kids turn out to be? Mm-hmm. A terror, right? And so, mm-hmm. if if your God mm-hmm. does everything to keep you away from pain, you should run from that God because that's not a God that has your best in mind, mm-hmm. but a God that's willing to walk with you in the pain. Right continue to love you through it, and then on the other side of it, refine you like gold is refined, then all of a sudden you're not just stronger, healthier, and more like your God. You are better for everybody else around you. Um, And one of the the points that I made um, is that Jesus walked into the garden troubled and sorrowful, but he walked out tenacious. And um, I mean, the older I get, the more spiritual tenacity I crave. And yeah. if it requires some kind of a version of a Garden of Gethsemane for me, mm. hopefully not to that degree, okay? <laughs> but some kind of a version micro for me, then I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm more willing to go through those gardens in order to get the spiritual tenacity on the other side. Um, and I think that's why God allows pain in our life to some yeah, degree. I love that when you said that on Sunday, when you read that passage, I forget, that's the end of that, but he just says, get up, let's go. Mm-hmm. I betrayers that hand. Like I was like, oh, yeah. okay, we're taking this head on. Like, yeah. I think I've always kind of skipped over that. Um, but I yeah. love that, that idea of that through the pain, we actually are developed into a stronger um, relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we have that tenacity. I love that. Yeah. So, so even in that, the disciples are with him this whole time. Yep. So when I, I, I want to read a verse from that passage mm-hmm. in, in Matthew chapter 26, yeah. because I think it's important. I, I don't want to skim over this at all is how many times he kept going to the disciples. Mm. And in verse 40, he said to Peter, so you cannot watch with me for one hour, (laughs) one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So Mm. they couldn't even wait an hour. I mean, like, I've I've heard that like goldfish have eight seconds worth of attention span and humans are pretty close. I mean, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> he just bit. compares to goldfish. But, but, That's but I, I've heard saying, that one before. Yeah. <laughs> I, but when I read that verse and Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like, what does it mean to bridge that that willingness out of the weakness to, I mean, having Jesus work in our life? I mean, I, I read that and it, it gives me some hope because when I'm weak, I'm just like the disciples, mm. but also could be discouraging because I'm willing, mm. but I'm really still messing up. Well, that, that's one thing that I really, uh, so Cal Rickner was kind of like co-leading the trip to Israel with me. And when we talked about this passage while we're in the garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> um, one of the, the conclusions the um, applications from that is you are more apt to fall into temptation if you're not watching and praying. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's not just praying, God, protect me from temptation, protect me from sin. It's also a watching for it. What are you watching for? You're watching for the opportune time that Satan's going to use to get you. And the older I get, the more I'm beginning to narrow in, zero in on the windows and the opportunities Satan likes to use. And so if I'm watching for those opportunities and I'm praying through them, then all of a sudden my willingness, my willing spirit hmm. matches up more or we'll say my flesh matches up more with my spirit. And this is part of what Jesus is doing for us. He's creating an integrated humanity yeah. where my flesh, my humanity that is typically weak and falls in temptation now becomes tenacious like Jesus did so that my flesh, my humanity uh, is more in sync with the nature and willingness of my spirit. And so one of the, one of the challenges, if I had more time, I would have really dug down into this more. It's, it's that is, it's if you want to be like Jesus, more and more like Jesus, mm-hmm. create a, a habit and a culture in your home and in your life of watching and praying mm-hmm. through the times that Satan will use to tempt you. And what's interesting is in this context, I mean, we didn't get to it, but I think the temptation that Jesus was thinking of 
is when the guards come and arrest him, all the disciples scatter and run. And I don't think that, I mean, Peter said, I will go to the, I will go to death with you. And, Mm -hmm. and Jesus said, you know, on this night, you'll be, you will betray me three times. I don't think Peter had any idea Mm -hmm. that he was going to be so scared. He would run, run away when the pressure. So So, I I think I know what you're saying when you say watch, but could you unpack what you mean? Everyone knows what it means to pray, right? So when you say watch, what are you watching? What is that? Good, the good context question. Of that? So, because I, I, I feel right. like that's something that maybe mm-hmm. we don't. Everyone's going to have a different interpretation of that if they don't absolutely. hear what you're talking about. No, nope, absolutely. So, um, for example, there are some salesmen, traveling salesmen that I've talked to, who you go to hotels, and obviously there's there's channels, especially later at night on hotel TVs that are not healthy. In any way. And so what they have done to watch themselves, to watch for that opportunity is call the hotel in advance and say, can you take the TV out of my room? Um, or they, they call their wife or something like that prior to going to their hotel room and saying, um, you know, I'm going to the hotel room and I'm just gonna go straight to bed, you know, something like that to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're watching for those opportunities. Um, another thing I heard uh, them say is that when all the other salesmen, after all the meetings are done, when everybody else goes out to the bars and everyone gets a little bit tipsy and then not good things happen, they watch for those opportunities and, and avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the nature of, of being watchful. Mm. It's learning the patterns and the triggers of how Satan's going to take advantage I, of that. I mean, knowing what your temptations are. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. for one person, it might oh, yeah. not be the same temptation for another. Right. And right. and even along those lines, it's also watching who's trying to draw you into temptation. I mean, have you ever had someone well-meaning, probably well-intentioned, mm-hmm. try to get you in a situation that was going to be compromising? Yeah. I mean, so I think watching. And one, one thing, I mean, if you're looking at the garden, it's vigilance. I mean, they couldn't wait an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what started this whole discussion right now. Yeah. Like they couldn't wait an hour. They couldn't watch an hour. And I think mm. we consistently need to be watching. And part of that, maybe maybe I'm getting too deep with this, but it is an awareness of who you are. Yeah, So sure. in your identity mm-hmm. and sure. how Jesus interacts with that. Every, almost everything we talked about today so far, I see in the scope of identity. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, and so... Yeah. Really, when you look at Jesus, he he consistently knew what his identity was. Mm-hmm. That didn't make it easy, oh, right? No. Absolutely. Right. And so sometimes our identity makes things more complicated. Mm-hmm. If we're going to watch and pray, mm-hmm. yeah, it means we're going to look different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you described that. David, do you have examples of Well, that? so I, I was thinking of actually uh, Paul's testimony of this in 2 Corinthians 4. Um I don't know how much to read. I could read the whole chapter, um, but well, it, we'll just put it on time time and a half. If you're yeah, on YouTube, I'm, time and a half. You want right me to now. read it? I I don't know what. Wh- well, so he says that the idea of being the crushing. Um, this is what brought to mind Second Corinthians four, verse eight. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Um, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he goes on to just talk about the testimony of, of being challenged and being um, in that atmosphere. And then he just says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Um, and I just love that testimony of... Um, like he knew what he was called to and he was actually watching for that persecution, for that trial, for that struggle. He was on watch for that. Um, but he didn't let that like deter him from the mission. And so I think that's just a, a good testimony of, of someone who followed Jesus, faced a lot of um, uh, uh, trial, um, but yet was I mean, saying, was martyred. Yeah, I mean, but he, he, yeah, so he was he he was facing that, yet he was still clinging to the hope of Jesus. I just love that testimony, um, and so 
That's that's yeah. well, and you, you you stopped in verse sixteen, but I think verse seventeen actually gives us an important principle related to that because verse seventeen, yeah, for this light momentary momentary yeah. affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yep. I mean, Eric, I think you would agree with this, but maybe we can go a little further. If we're thinking about our eternal destiny mm. in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was crushed, versus the things that afflict us. Yeah. In the moment, how can we have an eternal focus hmm. or mindset? Or, I mean, Jesus clearly had an eternal focus. Oh, uh, yeah. So how do we how do we become more like him in that? Right. Well, I, th- I think that's where the prayer comes in. Okay. Because yeah. when when you are praying, you are you are connecting with the heart and mind of God, and then through the Holy Spirit, He gives you that eternal perspective. Yeah. Without prayer. Um, all that you have to give you understanding of reality is your current circumstances and your interpretation of it. But when you pray, you are inviting God to give you a perspective that you could not get on your own. And I think that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I just had a thought. Um, uh, I, most people won't do this. I think Jesus was literally asking his disciples to stay up the entire night with him and pray. And I understand that, that they were tired and they were exhausted and it was easy to fall asleep. Mm. I think what Jesus was saying is there, there comes occasions, rare as they might be, where no matter how tired you are, mm. it's better for you to stay up the entire night. And instead of sitting down and praying, maybe to stay awake, you need to walk around your neighborhood the entire night mm. and just mm-hmm. pray. Um, I, and, I mean, and if there's somebody in your life that, I mean, th- there comes rarely times in our life where there's an urgency for prayer that mm. demands more than just our 10 minutes before we go to work. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering if, if how many people would be willing to fight off the tiredness wow. and literally stay up all night long to pray fervently for something that, is, that demands such a prayer mm. commitment. Wow. I, I don't know. Have you heard of people doing this much? I mean, I know, I know here in Fort Wayne, we have the prayer room and yeah. there's people that are committed. Uh, they call them the night watch. Yeah. And they're, they're there all night long praying, which I think is really cool. But it's challenging because I think of situations in my life that I've, I've been praying for, but I haven't been that committed. Yeah, right. Like that's, right. that's challenging. Yeah. Like that's a huge challenge. And I think, yeah. I, I just, I wonder what would happen if, if we began to pray with that kind of tenacity. Right. Like, I don't know. And even and even have time where we're praying. I think for most people, even praying one hour length is difficult. You yeah. Know, you know, I, I've done things where it's like 24 hours of prayer and you're always like, oh, the person at 3 a.m., they got the hard job, right? Because yeah. they're up in the middle of the night. I, I think this is probably true of both of you, but you have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you're like, I can't sleep, mm. but it's not like my thoughts are racing. I'm like, but I can't sleep. I don't know what to do. Like, it's not, there's nothing really stressing me out. And then I'm like, what cue do I need, God? I should be praying right now. <laughs> like, and then I end up praying for an extended period of time. And I think sometimes God uses those moments mm. And those are the watch and pray moments that we don't even realize are there. We're not aware of it until it happens. Like God, God is doing something in our heart and soul that brings us brings us to be awake. I think I think the other part of that is Jesus many times um, went away to pray, and I think in some ways there's this is like piggybacking on what he did here, but mm. we don't even go away to pray. Do you notice? Do you ever notice that we pray for meals? We pray with other people. We don't have consistent conversations with Jesus. I mean, I'm saying practicing Christians. I'm speaking generally. Mm -hmm. We don't spend enough time to, okay, that's my 15 minutes. It's not just my quiet time where I'm reading the word. It's my 15 minutes with Jesus where I'm just speaking with him. Like, and maybe it's frustrations and maybe it's like, maybe it's a lament, you know, but it's, it's something. Um, The other part of that, and maybe I want to flip the coin because I think we just talked about prayer enough in depth mm-hmm. and it's not in this passage but but Eric like how does that partner with fasting I mean Jesus when he was tempted he didn't eat you know right. some people have tried the Jesus fast which was a little yeah. I mean and people it's, died it's trying the Jesus fast not easy is it but yeah. but but what what is fasting in our culture in America it seems like that's almost a little bit harder 
than most other spiritual disciplines. And Jesus here is, or was it? He, he ate the Lord's Supper. He's up all night. The next day, I don't think they were feeding him. They feed him wine, right? The sour, sour wine. And so really he's, I mean, he's without food for this period of time, um, dedicated to dying for us. Right. Right. So, uh, so fasting, just the basic definition is uh, to choose to go without something that you not just want, but, but need mm-hmm. in order to uh, redirect those energies towards, towards God. And, and mm-hmm. pretty much I think what you're saying is that God, I desire the answer to this prayer more than I desire a, a, sustainable, a sustaining need in my life, like food or sleep. And I think, I think the whole sleep thing, the garden of Gethsemane is something like that. I think God was, Jesus was asking his disciples to fast from sleep in order for them to show Jesus how interested or how, um, compelled they were Mm -hmm. to get the same kind of thing Jesus was going after. And so some people, it's, it's primarily with food, but some people say, you know, I'm going to take a fast from social media, or I'm going to take a fast from, you know, whatever. Um, and I think they're all legitimate as long as what you're fasting from has a very felt impact on your life. Um, like if I don't like, like, like if you eat a chocolate bar once a month and, and I you're, fast fast, that, you're fasting from a month from chocolate, it's, it's like, it's not a big deal, right? Eh. It's gotta cause, yeah. uh, di- I don't know if the word difficulty is the best word, but it's gotta cause a change in your habits. How about we say, how about it, it's gotta cause some kind of pain? Yeah, there's yeah. gotta be some pain. Yeah. Um, and in the pain, what you're telling, telling Jesus is I'm willing to experience this pain mm. in order to get this kind of result, just like you were willing to experience a significant pain going to the cross to get the result that we mm-hmm. needed. And I think sometimes God is saying, I've got the answer for you. I've got the solution for you. I have your resource. Mm. What I need to see is how much are you willing to pursue it in order to get it? Or, or does lunch take precedent, take priority over what you're praying for? Hmm. Um, wow. That's good. Yeah, I mean, and that's a that's a big deal. I I just thought of that as I was reading this passage too, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, one of the things you said that I think was important, and and you didn't have for sake of time, I don't think had time to go a lot deeper into this, is you talked about that Jesus could have walked out at that point, mm-hmm. but he yielded to his Father's will. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to someone that feels like everyone's walked out on them? Maybe their fathers walked out on them, their mothers walked out on them, they feel their families abandoned them. Like, but Jesus didn't, but w- what does that look like for us? Because I mean, I, I know people in my life that they feel like everyone, including God has walked out on them because they got nothing left. They have no deep human relationships. They're really struggling, but Jesus didn't walk out on them. I mean, that's what scripture says here. Right. Uh, th- that would be a hard question to answer because I think in those circumstances, if someone's really going through that, they're not looking for a theological answer. They're looking for, they're looking for hope. Yeah. And, and what I would say to them is if everybody else in your life has abandoned you, then you are in a better advantage than almost everyone else to experience the fullness of God's love and grace and acceptance. Um, because you're, you're aggressively looking for it. And when you direct your search towards God, then you experience it in a way that so many other people can't. Mm. Because I can say, you know, I've got, I got tons of people that have accepted me and loved me. I don't feel like I've been abandoned by anybody. So there's, there's a part of my reality where I don't feel the need as much to have that acceptance and love mm. from God himself. Mm. Now, of course I do, but it's not nearly as much of a felt need as people who have been abandoned. So, so in, a, in riches of relationships, it's oh, yeah. sometimes harder to want yeah. the relationship with yeah. Jesus. Mm. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's why, putting it, that's why Jesus says it's, uh, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven yeah. um, because- He wasn't just talking financial. No, no. I mean, relationally wealthy, mm. um, whatever it is, it's, it's the more wealthy you are in an area, the less you feel the need for God to supply in that area. Um, and it requires a lot of humility yeah. if, you are, if you think you are, yeah. you know, or something mm. like that. David, I think you had, you had something. I saw it brewing over no, there. No, well, I was, just, I was just thinking about for that, that person, um, I think someone who feels lonely, like that's why the church is important. Oh, and that's yeah. why like as a church, we have yeah. a big responsibility to befriend people and mm-hmm. to, to meet with people who, who do feel lonely. Like, mm-hmm. I think what you said was great. Like that, 
that they're actually richer for, uh, and and have the opportunity to be, to experience the fullness of Jesus. But I think there's also a kind of an importance for the church to recognize that and say, hey, like we are your family. Like I think even Jesus says that. Like he his mom and is like, hey, your brothers and sisters are over here, and he's like, no, these are my brothers and these are my sisters. Um, so for someone who feels like everyone's abandoned them mm-hmm. and walked away from them, if you believe in Jesus, like we're, we're all related. Right. And, and that's the importance of it, the body of and Christ. Na- and now we're family. Yeah. But we all need, we all are loving each other and caring right. for each other. So I, I have, I have an example as you were talking about that. I was thinking about this one year we had a friend's giving. Have you guys ever heard of this? Yeah. Or we had a bunch of friends mm-hmm. over and it was like a Thanksgiving meal. It was kind of a disaster. My wife forgot to assign gravy, which is my fault because I relayed all the information and didn't think there's no gravy coming. Oh, that's we, a good thing you took the blame for that one. I took the blame because yeah. it was it was bad. I was the bad communicator, so I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> but uh, but I just remember that like at first it was like ten people, mm-hmm. and it ended up being like sixty people in our house, and we're like. Oh, this is a lot of people. And then we started realizing some of these people, it wasn't on Thanksgiving, but some of these people didn't have a family yeah. to go for Thanksgiving. And so like, as you go through holiday seasons, sometimes holiday seasons is the most loneliest time mm-hmm. when people really want to embrace mm-hmm. that relationship with Jesus and embrace like the garden Jesus, like, oh, I feel the pain he's feeling. Yeah. And I think, I think in some ways the bridge there is, your physical family is not your only family mm. when you're part of a church. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so, why Jesus said, care for the widows and orphans, right? Mm-hmm. That's the heart mm-hmm. of Jesus. Each other's burdens, right? Yeah, yeah, is that those who are lonely mm-hmm. are not lonely in Christ. That's right. And that, right. as a body, that's that's what yeah. it's about. So, I think, oh, so, so pastorally, Eric, so on a Sunday morning, when you look out here, you're preaching, we're, we're sitting here on the stage. What would you tell someone in the pew if they see someone that, clearly feels out of place, you know, is looking around or something like that. Mm. Like, how can we embrace that? I mean, we pastorally see that and we try to talk to someone or engage with someone, but like, that's really all of our responsibilities, right? Absolutely. And you know, that, that's a, that really is a great question to kind of wrap this podcast up. Um, But I, I think, I think it's when you come into church, watching and praying for the opportunity to be Jesus to other people, yes. then the Holy Spirit can kind of give you those windows. Yeah. And so uh, coming to church is, is, is not nearly as much about consuming what we have to offer. It's more about contributing to the collective good as well. Yeah. And so if you're brand new to Brookside or brand new to any church for that matter, um, I mean, definitely come and experience and consume and, and decide if that's gonna be your church home. But if you are a mature believer, your primary goal in coming to church should not be what can I get out of it? It's what can I give to it? And so if you come in with your eyes open, watching and praying for those people who are lonely or hurting, Mm. then all of a sudden Sunday morning church becomes a mission field. And you become to be, you, you, you act in part like Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane by stepping into their pain and, um, and, and giving them hope in the middle of it. So that that's a really good question to wrap this up with. Yeah, I know we're yeah. kind of running out of time. Yeah, uh, running out of time. Oh. What are you talking about? Well, I think Luke, get Luke, long, Luke so. last week, the yeah. moderator, uh-huh. I think it was like the longest one we've ever done. So Yeah, we're not trying to break that record. We're not trying to break no. that record. So thank you so much for joining us for Church Unscripted this week. Remember to subscribe and like so that you can look at our YouTube channel and get updates when we post these. Um, we're looking forward to continuing this series through Easter. And we're excited for the next few Church Unscripteds. So remember, Easter services, 9 and 11 a.m., Good Friday, uh, Stations of the Cross, going through from 4 to 7. We're going to go around here in the Worship Center. I'm really excited to see some of you there.